0: we mm-hmm. Everybody, this is Chris. Welcome to episode 310 of X-Labs, where, uh, before we get into it, um, just a little bit of, a real talk from me here. Not that it's, not that it's solicited or anything, but, um, I do want to preface here by saying that the stories we're going to be discussing today are both, uh, they're both good. They're both fun stories, so I don't want, uh, anything I say right now to feel like an indictment on the story quality here, um, but just, a, a little personal aside here. I'm just having a, uh... A tough time of, um, well, I'd say of doing the show, but it's really of doing anything of late. Um, it might sound silly, it might sound a little precious, but, uh, even, you know, we're almost a month removed from uh, losing our our dog. And it, it just hasn't gotten better, you know, um... And I, and I can appreciate that there, you know, there are much bigger worries out there for many, many people. But um, I, I can only really speak to my experience, and so that's kind of what I'm doing. Uh, everything has just been a struggle. Uh, waking up in the morning has been hard. Uh, getting out of bed has been hard. Um, it, every every script I write feels like a mountain. Um, everything I do professionally feels like. Like, I'm running in place Or, you know, the whole sisyphus and Is that how you say the word? Sisyphus? Well, you just just rolling the rock up the hill And it just goes right back down the other side Everything feels kind of futile um, Every workout I do is just like A real chore I just don't feel like doing anything And I, I you know, I've been You know, I've been depressed before But, uh I, I don't know, this is different This is different, so, um It's been a rough little while um so uh yeah, I guess maybe I'm just uh saying that if uh you know if I miss a day or two coming up, um it's not because I don't want to uh be, you know, uh regular with this program or, you know, on a on a set schedule, but yeah, uh, things are just kinda weird. I'm just not feeling my uh, my best self. I'm just not feeling things just don't feel right. You know. But, you know, with all that aside, <laughs> how about we get to, uh, the reason we've gathered here today, and, uh, that is to hop on to Marvel Unlimited to, uh, take a look at, uh, some of our Infinity comics, and I think the next, next few episodes we might spend in the Infinity realm, uh, because we did fall, uh, I think three or four, maybe even five issues behind. I think we're up to, like, issue 22 of X-Men Unlimited right now, and, uh, Right now we're just covering number seventeen, so we've got uh, we've got a few days to catch up on, or a few, I guess, a few chapters to catch up on. But uh, I think that's ample pre-ramble. Let's uh, just hop right in here. This is uh, we're going to start with X Men Unlimited number seventeen, which uh, appeared in January twenty twenty two. story's called Paradise Lost, chapter five. It's a hundred powers, and not one of them can make me a chicken palm sub. And uh, hmm, something about the word parm kind of grosses me out. Like, parmesan's fine, but parm just sounds kind of gross. And, and, I mean, it takes just about as much effort to say parm as it does parmesan. I don't know. Uh, written by Fabian Niciesa with art by Matthew Hork. Letters, VCs, Joe Sabino, Edit Tomorrow, Bisa, White, Cebulski. This one appeared on the application on January the 10th of 2022. And we open with our uh, humorous catch-up material. I guess uh, this time delivered by Primus because, well, you see, Mister Deadpool is uh, otherwise engaged at the moment, and uh, this rejoinder is just as unfunny as the uh, past, you know, four times we read this were. So we will flick our finger across the screen a time or three to skip right to our story, which kicks off. Uh, yeah, and as it turns out here, old Primus has been majorly effed with by the warden's new human adaptoid powers. And Primus, much like Joe Frazier last chapter, goes down and actually shatters when it hits the ground. Now, Quicksand is here and she suggests to Kane that, uh, you know, maybe this isn't really working. So how about we, uh, you know, kick the gear into reverse and, and bug on out of here. Kane reminds them that they are the Unstoppables and hence, you know, shouldn't stop. Deadpool's all like fist pumping and like, heck yeah, we are. To which Juggernaut reminds him that he's not actually on the team. And I hope you find that humorous, because we're going to get takes on that joke about four or five more times during this chapter. Anyway, it's all a moot point, because Quicksand is like, you know what, screw you anyway, I'm out of here. And just, uh, discretion's the better part of valor, jams on out. Unfortunately for her, she doesn't get all that far, because the Warden sucks up her powers. At this point, Wade asks Kane how much they're being paid for this mission, to which Kane reminds Wade that, uh, Uh, Hey, you know, you're not part of the team and such, you ain't getting paid Then, you know, we keep beating the horse here because uh, we get some math humor to follow And uh, the warden says that Kane's team is half taken out You know, I've taken out half your team To which we find out it's actually two-thirds of the team Because, you know, Wade's not actually on the team So it's two out of three and not two out of four Has the joke been driven into the ground yet? It's the sort of writing that feels like uh, making comics the Nisiesa way of late. Um, anyway, anyway, let's move on. The Warden then zaps Deadpool with the Incandescent Man's powers. Now, Wade initially thinks this was Electro's powers, but this leads to a joke about how the Warden's really boning up on his hot moves. Now, the Incandescent Man, by the way, only ever appeared once. And that was in Marvel Team-Up number 149, January 1985 cover date, which is a book we'll eventually be covering should the Essential X-Lap series actually make it that far, because that's the issue where Spider-Man teams up with Cannonball. Anyway, Wade's burnt to a crisp. Kane wants some answers. He asks the Warden why he's trying to become a superhuman if his ultimate goal is wiping out all superhumans. To which our baddie drops a line about having to, you know, saving a village by burning it to the ground. Which, until right now, is a saying I've never heard before, but it actually is... A famous quote. Well, it's a paraphrase of a famous quote. Uh, The line is actually, quote, It became necessary to destroy the town to save it. And uh, this is Associated Press reporter Peter Arnett delivered this quote, which was given to him by a, quote, Unidentified American officer. And he dropped this line in the Danville Register on February 8th, 1968, when reporting on the obliteration of Ben Trey during the Vietnam War. Now, this is a quote like, uh, well, most famous quotes. It's been misused, misquoted, including in this very panel, and often misattributed. And I'm sure there's probably a corner of the internet that believes Albert Einstein said it. Uh, yeah, I'm pretty sure. I- I'm. This probably isn't a single quote ever uttered that somebody hasn't already attributed to Einstein. Especially on the internet. Everybody likes to quote Einstein, and, uh, you know, it's only like... One out of every 15 quotes is actually Einstein's. Anyway, now the warden then sicks his men on our heroes, and, uh, well, we get back to our Infinity Comics scrolling gimmick here. Over the course of seven or so finger flicks, Deadpool dismembers a bunch of the baddies while saying, time to make the donuts, which, as we all know, is another famous Einstein quote. Then we get philosophical. The warden asks Kane the age-old question, who came first, the villains or the Batman? I mean, uh, was the world safer before or after the advent of superhumans? And uh, advent of superhumans? Also gods and mutants and whatever the hell a boring-ass Eternal is, I suppose. Cain has no response, and just accuses the big bad of being scared. The warden then uses his Swamp Thing powers to grow a bunch of Valerian root in order to put Juggernaut to sleep. Anybody listening ever take Valerian Root? And if so, uh, anybody find it useful in helping you fall asleep? I've tried it. It's never worked for me. And, uh, good lord, if you open the bottle of that stuff, I mean, that could maybe put you out, because that stuff smells like death. That is the worst-smelling stuff that you could ever, you know, put in your body. Anyway, from here, the human adaptoid goes to steal Kane's powers, and, uh, seems like he does. He then decapitates Deadpool, like you do. And we wrap up with the Warden, putting the next step of his plan in motion. And that plan is storming Krakoa. And uh, we're gonna actually storm Krakoa in another way in our second story here. But um, well, what did we think about this first one? It was okay. It was okay. Um, I'm glad that uh, Arnim Zola wasn't in it, because I don't think... As annoying as it was for me to keep repeating the fact that uh, Niciesa kept repeating the word Nazi (laughs) You know, it was more annoying to actually read Niciesa's writing than it was to actually repeat it over and over again I'm sure neither made for a very uh, entertaining experience But uh, we didn't have that here Which is a good thing Uh, We did get... The repetitive uh, joke That I guess guess was a joke That uh, Deadpool's not a member of this team I I think that's kind of Deadpool's lot in life right now He's not a member of teams And he'd like to be a member of teams Which, I mean, that works, I suppose But uh, I feel like uh, we might have repeated the joke A few times too many here Which is to say, I mean, say it once And we get it, you know say Say it one time, have Deadpool kind of be out to lunch Like, oh yeah, I'm on this team And have him be reminded that he's not But then, you know Put it aside and and move on Um, Everything else in the story, I feel like it it worked really well We're really ramping up the threat of the warden here We're, uh, you know, amping up his powers And we're seeing our protagonists in uh, quite the compromised position So, really like this one I thought it worked a lot better than, you know, many of the chapters of this to this point I still feel like we're a little bit bloated Like this story could have happened maybe two chapters ago but I suppose we needed all that Arnim Zola stuff in there Because, uh, well, virtue doesn't signal itself, does it? So, um, I think that's about all I have to say The art here is still very, very good um, And i um, for the most part, having a good time with it Next up, we are taking a break from the life of Wolverine Here to take a look at a uh, very recent uh, Infinity comic This is Spider-Bot number 10 Which, I mean, that's a strange one in it I didn't even know there was a Spider-Bot series I didn't know there was a Spider-Bot I don't know where where this critter came from. Um, and uh, we're not going to know a whole lot more about Spiderbot after reading this. This is mostly a, uh, believe it or not, a Wolverine story. Anyway, February 2022 is uh, the, I guess, cover date of this one. The story is called Life's a Krakoan Beach, written by Jordan Bloom with art by Alberto Albuquerque. Colors Dono Sanchez Almara. Letters, VCs, Clayton Cowles Edits, Grownman, Lewis, Sobolski On app on February the 11th of 2022 Now, we open on Krakoa With Forge calling Wolverine over to the Vidcom Where he's getting a very urgent call from Spider-Man Now, Logan, he does that thing where he's like Trying to say like, hey, tell him I'm not in You know, we I think we've all done that, right But The Vidcom, as the name might suggest, is a video communication gimmick, so Spidey sees him standing right there. He's like, hey, I'm looking at you. You see me, I see you. And so Wolverine mutters that today is supposed to be his day off. And, uh, well, Spidey doesn't even listen to that. He just goes right into rambling about a favor that he needs done. Just then, Cyclops wanders in to ask Wolverine for a hand with something. And Logan jumps at the opportunity as, uh, whatever it is, it'll likely be far less annoying than being in the Spider-Man business. Now, Scott informs him of a security breach, and, uh, well, it looks like it's Black Tom's day of two, so Wolverine's tracking seals are going to be needed. And Logan's all, hey, that works, you got it. I'll deal with this, you deal with Spider-Man. And so we follow our hero on the trail of whatever this security breach is. And, I mean, it's probably no surprise as to what this security breach will wind up being, but we'll get there. Now, the first stop for our man is Beast's Lab, where Hank reports that whatever the interloper is, uh, it took him by surprise and also swiped his Omni battery. Next stop, the Green Lagoon, where we find out that the intruder stole a bunch of drink umbrellas. And Blob also tells Logan that Spider-Man called his cell phone trying to get a hold of him, which... Spider-Man has Blob on speed dial? Okay. Uh, Next stop, Hellfire Bay, where Storm tells Wolverine that the baddie stole her 1 billion thread count Shi'ar bedsheets And I tell ya, I think in this one panel, we've got Storm in Hellfire Bay more than her entire run with the Marauders So, uh, points for that Then we go to Sunset Cliffs, where Cannonball tells him that Spidey's been... (sighs) Blowing up his Twitter feed trying to find him Current day, everybody, Isn't, isn't it great? Uh, Wolverine ain't listening to Sam, though, as he's still tracking whatever it is that he's tracking. And like I said, this isn't going to be some huge surprise, right? The book is literally called Spider-Bot. From here, Wolverine slides down a cliffside, talking about how he's such a busy dude and how he keeps joining teams. He never says no, and so he never has time for himself. And he name-drops the Avengers, Alpha Flight, the New Fantastic Four, and the Secret Defenders. Then he finally finds our intruder and, uh, well, it, it's Spider-Bot. Of course it's Spider-Bot. Now, the bot is on the beach relaxing with all the looted it had stolen. Wolverine goes to apprehend the little critter before the bot begs off that, you know, please let me stay for just a little bit. Because, you see, Spider-Man is very, 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 very annoying. And so the bot, while, while the bot does love Pete, well, he still needs some time away from him as well just to keep, keep sane. Just then, Magic pops in from Limbo to tell Logan that Spider-Man just called her Limbo phone about the missing robot. And Wolverine tells her to tell him that he's, uh, he's busy enjoying his day off with a pal. And so, we close out with Wolverine and Spider-Bot watching the sunset. And before we, uh, get into our analysis, if we can call it that for this one, I want to thank uh, Evan Bevins for letting me know that this was, a. Uh, This was even a thing. Um, I've often asked, like, if anybody knows anything that's coming out that is relevant to, you know, our purview here, please let me know. And uh, Evan let us know that that this one did, in fact, take place on Krakoa. So, thank you, Evan, for uh, bringing this one to my attention and introducing me to uh, a pretty fun story. Um, You know, not much to the story, but it it was fun. And uh, I feel like it had heart. And you know we've we've talked about this when we were doing uh, the Jeff series when Jeff was still when well, before he went on his hiatus <laughs> we were covering Jeff every week uh, that if Marvel was smart they would uh, take these Infinity stories with these mascots and side characters and maybe put them together in a little little bundle you know I feel like these stories have a lot more heart to them than a lot of the you know LOL random kitty fare or the pseudo-kitty fair that they put out. Like, I remember they put out, like, a Pet Avengers series. It's like, I can only speak for myself, but who wants that? Like, who wants Lockjaw and the Pet Avengers? (laughs) I just think that sounds so dumb. Whereas if you were to take and bundle, you know, Jeff the Landshark, the Pizza Dog, Spider-Bot, I think you'd have a much more inviting, um, you know, anthology or... Whatever collection of stories there And I'd also like to give this Spider-Bot story some credit for uh, Actually, you know, acknowledging continuity (laughs) It seems like uh, Jordan Bloom actually reads the X-Books Which I'm sure half of our X-Writers don't actually read all the X-Books So uh, good on them there Ultimately, as for, you know, analyzing the story There isn't a whole lot to analyze here It's a a one-off comedy story And it was good it was good, it was actually kind of humorous It didn't overstay its welcome It didn't, uh, it didn't insist upon the jokes It was just, you know, funny stuff I mean, I probably could have done without Wolverine name-dropping all of the teams that he's on Because that just feels like an LOL 90s comics am I right sort of a comment But, you know, in the context of the story, it was fine The art was also nice It was just a, it was a fun time It was a nice, uh, palate cleanse And, uh because you know, I was getting ready to do the next chapter of Life of Wolverine, which it's not a bad story, but it's a story we've already read many, many times and many, many contradictory times. So that's one that I, I don't, I don't really dread reading it. I dread trying to come up with stuff to say about it. It's like, oh well, it's Origin, only the first few pages of it. Uh, what do we say about the first few pages of Origin? But who knows? Fingers crossed that in uh, you know the subsequent. Issues or subsequent chapters of uh, Life of Wolverine We'll get a little bit more to uh, dig our teeth into But I think that's all I got to say about our Infinity Comics for today Uh, How about we hop into the mailbag here We got a couple of letters We're going to start with one from Andrew Franklin Talking about the trial of Magneto, number five He says, are you telling me that the story that's supposed to be redeeming Wanda For whatever dumb reason Is based around her conspiring to frame someone for her death And we're supposed to be okay with that I'm at a loss for words when faced with the terrible morality of, of our supposed heroes. Actually, no, I have many harsh words, but for the sake of decorum, I will keep them to myself. And yeah, yeah, you know, um, I think when I talked about that issue, I think I kind of missed the forest for the trees in that if we were to boil the story down, it doesn't paint anybody in a good light, does it? But, like, when we look at the ultimate goal here, it's like, okay, well, this, you know, this works for narrative reasons, you know, nobody knows that about the conspiracy, nobody knows about the cahoots, so everybody but Wanda and Magneto, they they think that this is just, you know, altruism and that justice was served, but we readers have a, you know, more, you know, fuller picture of what actually happened here, so... uh while Wanda might be fixed in the eyes of Krakoa, in the eyes of the readership, it's a little bit more complicated than that, isn't it? And I feel like like maybe the at the end of the trial, you know, when Toad was, was dropped, well, I guess it wasn't even a trial, really. It was just a, hey, did you do this? Yes, I did this. Okay, you're going in the hole. I guess that's a trial, kind of, <laughs> kind of. But once it was done, uh, Wanda's like, well, no, we, you know, we need to get him out. We need to, you know, he shouldn't be suffering. I'm okay. Everything's cool. And uh, Magneto is the one who tells her that, you know, we do have laws here that need to be obliged. So maybe when this was all set up, Wanda didn't realize what was going to happen here. She knows some things about Krakoa, but maybe she doesn't know the full scope of Krakoan capital punishment. Where Magneto, uh, he's always been morally dubious. Um, I mean, he can go either way. So him being okay with the Toad going to the pit, that I can deal with. I- I'm, I'm guessing that Wanda just uh, wasn't aware of, um, you know, you, you do A to get through B to get to C, and I don't think she realized what all the steps would entail. You know, wheels within wheels within wheels. Uh, Wanda had her goal, but didn't realize that uh, there'd be a price to it, or exactly what the price would be. And again, I have absolutely no insider knowledge here, and uh, I'm probably thinking harder about this than Marvel Editorial did. But, uh, I I mean, uh, it's Marvel, right? We're always about a month, maybe two months away from the next time we try to redeem the Scarlet Witch. And of course, we're only a few months away from the next time the X-Men are going to cross paths with the Avengers, so... We'll see. <laughs> but uh, thank you so much for sharing your thoughts on that one, Andrew. And, uh, hey, if you want to uh, skip the decorum and give us your real thoughts, I'd love to hear them and share them, or just hear them. If you don't want them shared, that's fine, too. Just let me know. Next up, uh, Jesse talking about Phoenix Song Echo number three, and this one was left at the Facebook group. And I mentioned this one because uh, when I covered that issue, I had some questions about the... Uh, Perceived wonkiness of the time travel, time, easy for me to say, time travel, time trammel, what's wrong with me? Time travel gimmick. <laughs> um, in that, uh, as we know, if you've been following Phoenix Song Echo, Uh, The adversary is trying to take out Maya's uh, lineage, her ancestry. So we're going back in time, generation to generation, or I guess we're skipping several generations at some clips here, but the gist is the adversary is going back in time to make it so Maya does not exist in the current day. And in this issue, Maya and her uh, time-walking compatriot for this story, River, are jumping around in time here, trying to avoid or evade the adversary. And the idea that I had in my head here Is since we're going back in time Further and further to wipe out You know, we're just, you know Hacking off limbs of the family tree here That if Maya and River are going to time travel They can only go one way They can only go backwards Because if they go forward Well, there's nothing keeping them there There's no lightning rod There's no family, right? They, they, these, the family does not exist in the future If you kill them in the past But in this issue They went from the past to the past Future, to the well not the future, but the More recent past, I should say, they went back And forth in time, is what I'm trying to say here And so Jesse says the following I'm with you on the time travel thing They explain that she couldn't go forward in time Because she doesn't exist there anymore This should be the same reason why No one forward in time would be alive if their Ancestor was killed, therefore they could Only travel backwards in time So thank you for uh, well, For confirming my thoughts Here, so either Either Marvel's wrong, or we're both idiots, I guess, because uh, it all, it stands to reason that um, you can only go backwards in time. And I, like you said, I, I, I'm pretty sure they said that. <laughs> I'm pretty sure they explained that to us. But what are you going to do? What are you going to do? Uh, Jesse continues, This kind of reminds me at that time that Cable and Hope were trying to escape Bishop, but they could only go forward in time. But I think that was because the time machine arm was busted. And I'm pretty sure you're right. I'm pretty sure you're right there that the... Uh, Time machine thing. the The arm was busted, and they can only go forward. And uh, that was, you know, that's a story that I feel like doesn't doesn't get its proper due. That was a fun one to follow. Um, I, I feel like uh, it, it's it's one that kind of suffers in retrospect because they kind of they kind of brushed elements of it away, like uh, the, the redemption of Bishop by kind of just saying, "Oh, Bishop's good again." <laughs> it it feels. It feels like they didn't put a whole lot of thought into it And for an era of X-Men comics Where we didn't get a whole lot of like Holy crap moments That didn't feel Totally you know Marketing related Oh we're renumbering things Or oh we're splitting this up Turning Bishop Into a bad guy Was one of those Sort of Sort of kind of jaw drop moments it Was like wait a second You know And then you worry like How are you gonna walk this back And Then we realize that it is Marvel and they'll just, you know, jingle some, uh, like a a key ring just out of our peripheral vision so we get distracted long enough to be like, oh wait, no, he's he's good again. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it at all. But thank you so much for confirming (laughs) what I thought about the time travel gimmick there, Jesse. I really, really appreciate it. Next up, we got Evan talking about X-Force number 24. And, of course, this is the one where uh, Colossus was kind of the focus character, and he broke What's-Her-Face's neck, and then Professor X came to talk to him. Feels like it's been, like, five years since we read that book. Uh, Now, Evan says the following. Well, this does have some interesting ramifications for the Quiet Council going forward, assuming the control issue isn't resolved ahead of Inferno actually starting. I would have found this more interesting if Colossus hadn't been such an afterthought in this series. And then he runs through uh, some of Colossus's greatest hits here, and it's, there's not many. He's there on the cover of Issue 1. He talks suicide with Domino. Beast accuses him of being a spy based on zero evidence, but hey, a broken clock is right twice a day. And Jean suggests that he replace her as X-Force's moral compass. Did I miss anything? I don't think you did. I don't think you did miss anything. I'm trying to uh, go through the Colossus' greatest hits here. We know... That uh, they alluded to him doing something in Russia before, and I mean, I'm I'm not saying that as a joke. (laughs) He did something in Russia before X Force number one, right? Uh, Where we saw him brought back to Krakoa on the Marauder, and uh, they 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 nebulously talked about some of the stuff he saw, but I don't know if they ever really and truly fleshed it out, uh, at least you know, to a fleshed-out story beat, other than to say that he experienced some trauma. Uh, Evan continues, He may have had less of a presence in X-Force than Storm did in Marauders. It's not a bad idea, it just feels like we haven't been given enough of Colossus to be surprised by this revelation. And you're right. You're right. Um, and I feel like this might just be one of those instances where, you know, there's definitely a Colossus story being told. Right? We've got the Chronicler, and we've got Mikhail. There's something that... There's a story that Percy's trying to tell here. But, you know, two years into his three-year run, a supposed three-year run, Jonathan Hickman says, I'm out of here. So uh, we gotta rush everything to a, uh, to a stopping point. I think that's where... I think that's where we're stuck right now with Colossus. I, I want to say that Percy probably had some more ideas for him, but they all got driven off the side of the road as Inferno plowed on through with its siren blasting. You know, I think that's kind of the situation we're in here I could be completely wrong, you guys know me I have absolutely no insider knowledge here It's just, um, I, I, maybe it's my, uh, maybe it's an odd bit of optimism (laughs) That I want to assume that there was a more satisfying endgame here Which would have made this payoff a whole lot better than it did But, uh, eh, you know, wheels within wheels, right? Uh, Evan continues also, from a story standpoint, it makes perfect sense for him to be spilling secrets through his paintings. But as a practical matter, well, I guess there's less chance of it being caught painting in his Savage Land love nest than snapping pics on site with his new stark phone or whatever the proper Marvel equivalent is. And it's true. It does uh, it does make sense for him to be doing this um, as it makes him far more passive in the act rather than being you know wholly complicit. Whereas if he's snapping pictures, it's like he's snapping pictures But painting is just part of his character It's something he does And um, painting is art And how do you really describe art? Art is just something that happens a lot of the time here Um, If you are a prolific painter, as as we know Peter to be Well, he's going to probably paint from his subconscious And I mean, I'm not much of an artist But when I did dabble, a lot of what I created just, you know, came To me, it wasn't anything planned out It wasn't, uh, you know I didn't storyboard or thumbnail It's just a a drawing It's a sketch, it's a painting, it's a whatever it is So um, I feel like that makes him more passive And it also gives him deniability In that, you know, art's art You know, art is what it is And I like that I kind of wish we We weren't oversimplifying Colossus Into just being the guy who paints Because I feel like I feel like we're not putting any effort into growing his character any. It's just a matter of, okay, well, this is what we know about him. Do we need to add anything to it? Well, no, no. (laughs) Let's just leave it. I mean, Speedy's a heroin addict, Uh, Hank Pym beats his wife, and Colossus paints. So, (laughs) we'll just leave it at that. Uh, Evan continues, as far as Mikhail not just coming to the island, well, the Quiet Council and X-Force don't spill all the beans to the inhabitants. Plus, if you're Russian and not magic, you're automatically a suspect in Beast's eyes. I still don't know, though. I feel like I feel like they could have done this, but I feel like they're also telling that story a lot. You know, where we have someone we don't trust trying to make a case for themselves being trustworthy? I guess that's just kind of um, a necessary... Uh, you know, I don't want to use the term evil, since these... Folks are trying to make it so they're not, but it's a necessary evil in these kind of stories where we're blending hero and villain into one people, and the villains have kind of a you know a tough road to hoe in order to gain trust or be allowed in. And we've seen that with um, with the Shadow King over in New Mutants here, where he's playing as though he's uh, he's a good guy, and of course we found out that he's not, but he might be. It might just be. Uh, we'll, we'll get there when we get there, but. uh Yeah, I I don't know that we'd want to do that again with Mikhail Like, would we really need to read that story Where Mikhail's chumming up with Professor X and Magneto Trying to prove that he's an asset to the community And then ultimately turns on them Eh, we've been there, done that, and we'll probably be there again But from a story standpoint Where, you know, Krakoa is for all mutants You'd think that would be like Plan A It's just too easy, isn't it? But uh, I guess we will find out uh, when X-Force resumes next season, and uh, when I finally finish with Inferno, when ever DCBS decides to uh, ship and deliver my next shipment. But thank you so much for your message. That's going to do it for our mailbag segment. And uh, as today is a Monday episode, we do have our final segment, which is This Week in X, where we look at what's happening on Unlimited and also on shelves. And, uh, if you're just reading the X-Books, well, there, there ain't a whole heck of a lot here this week. Um, on Unlimited, uh, which they finally did update that page at Marvel.com, so we do know what's coming out every week, at least for the next couple of weeks, um, we got two books that are hitting Unlimited today. That's Excalibur number 25 and Hellions number 17. I'd probably only recommend reading one of those. Um, now on Wednesday, the shelves have, uh, well, another two books, just two. This is the X Lives of Wolverine number three with six mother effin covers, which uh, you don't need five of. And speaking of five, we also have X Men number eight with five covers. Five? Why? Why do we have five covers for X Men number eight? <sighs> I, I, I feel like we've lost this one, gang. We've lost this fight. Uh, then again, maybe I'm fighting by myself. Who knows? But uh, those are our two books. But we do have three collections that are hitting the shelves as well. We've got Aurora Before the Storm trade paperback, which was a miniseries, I, I believe that's an all-ages uh, miniseries, from, oh boy, probably 2007, 2008-ish. And it uh, it features Storm as a child. Then we have Sword by Al Ewing, Volume 2. And we've also got Volume 2 of the New Mutants Omnibus. So if you have an extra 125 bucks, this Wednesday, you could buy a collection of stories you've already read and probably already own in multiple versions already. But that's The Week in X, and that is today's show. Uh, if anybody out there would like to get a hold of me, I would invite you to do so. You could find me several different ways. You can find me on Twitter at Ace Comics, on Instagram at 90 men You can send an email to weirdcomicshistory at gmail.com or call into the voicemail hotline at 623-396-JERK. For blog posts and show notes, Chris is on InfiniteEarths.com. You can join us on Facebook. Our group is 90s X-Men. Of course, the complete audio archives are available. Just search out the names of the show, the names of the channel, any application, podcast, yada, yada, yada. You can find us there. Uh, Finally, there is the Patreon. That is patreon.com slash xlapsed for behind-the-scenes stuff and uh, exclusive content, hopefully more exclusive content, coming very, very soon. As I I mentioned at the start of the show, I've just... uh, it's been a weird few weeks. It's been a weird month, and um, motivation, uh, you know, mo is out the dough. as uh, as we used to say at work. Uh, motivation is just out the door. Um, but hopefully, we'll be able to uh, restoke those flames pretty quickly here as I, as I work through uh, as I work through this grieving process. But um, I want to thank everyone for uh, listening and being a part of this with me. It really, really does mean a lot. And until next time, as always. I'll uh, talk to you again real soon. See ya.